are you listening to Discovery Debrief? And uh, so did I. It's Jason Isaacs, who was, at some point, some version of Captain Lorca. Right now, I'm just a fan. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast setting a course to discuss the future of the final frontier in Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Picard, Lower Decks, and more. I'm co-host Chris Clow, and I'm joined by our bold panel of Star Trek franchise explorers, including Rachel Clow. Oh, hello. Hello. Zaki Hassan. Permission to come back aboard. Granted. Damn yes, granted. <laughs> and... The legendary Cicero Holmes. Hey guys, I'm just trying to find my voice. <laughs> I, I think you found it, man. Yeah. <laughs> I think you did. I'm trying to find your voice too, Cicero. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, may, I, may I just say how much, one, I am so glad, and I'm sure, Chris, I'm stealing some of your thunder. I'm so glad that the entire group, our, our entire bridge crew is here. Um, and on top of that, it makes me smile so brightly to hear uh, Jason Isaacs at the beginning. At the beginning, that bumper right? is, is so incredible, dude. It's surreal. so great. It's so great. It it, it really is. No, I'm I, and I, I don't like to like. I don't think I'm going to throw that ahead of every episode. But damn, I am tempted to. It feels good, man. It feels it good. Does. It really does. No, it's. It's awesome, and of course, yeah. It's I'm I'm really happy to have the four of us that started this whole thing off back back together. I mean, Dave is a great guest. I love yeah. having Dave, but Zachy, I mean, he is he is your relief uh, so far, and we have missed you. So I'm, I'm well, glad I appreciate to that. I, I I've been teaching uh, during the summer session, which really uh, it it pays my bills, so I'm grateful for it. But it also kicks my ass, so uh, <laughs> it it significantly reduces my podcast time. But yesterday was the last day of summer for me, so I am I'm just I'm just walking on sunshine right now. Excellent! Oh, uh, so you get that. a little bit of a summer vacation. So I, I get two weeks, and then it's right back into the grinder. <laughs> There'll All be right. seven episodes of debrief in the next two weeks. I know. <laughs> Like so, what happened uh, this morning, guys? <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, uh, I mean, we'll we'll try to get in what we can. We have a little bit of a complication uh, on our end, unfortunately. But um, you know, since there's not a regular show going on right now, I hope that people don't expect us to jump in every single week. But uh, we'll absolutely bring you more debrief whenever we can, especially when we can get this whole crowd together. So this episode, as we talked about, represents the return of our full panel for the first time in a couple of months. And since we discussed the torrent of news to come out of Comic-Con International in our last episode, today we're turning our attention to the signature Trek event of the year, the official Star Trek convention that took place earlier this month in Las Vegas, Nevada. Of course, though, we're going to ease into our discussion by talking about what everyone's been up to since the last time we all got together. And we have to start with a broader catch-up with Zachy. So... Zachy, we know that you've been busy uh, making bacon 
making the money, <laughs> right? Bringing, bringing the bacon home. Right. So what, what else have you been up to, man? First of all, you know, if, uh, I understand you've restarted your Trek order rewatch, but also uh, I'm dying to hear your thoughts on this show. Uh, about all the news that came out of San Diego and the Picard trailer. So lay it on us. Please start us off. Oh my goodness. It's it what what a time. It feels like nineteen ninety-four or something, right? There's just <laughs> so much there's so much trek happening. Uh, I I saw the trailer for, for Picard and uh it I can't even sum up what I felt watching it. it it's um it it it's you're seeing a friend, you're reunited with a friend who you never thought you'd see again. Yeah, you had made your peace with. Well, we had a great time together, and and I'm just that that time is over, and that's fine. And then here he is back again, and and it's so, what, what, I love this moment before Picard drops because it's just anticipation, you know. Yeah. Uh, it, I the, the 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 similarity I would draw to is like it's like seeing the first trailer for the Force Awakens, and at that moment you have no idea what what the 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 sequel star wars movies are going to look like and so you just you just get to luxuriate in all the excitement and anticipation and that's what this is you know uh i'm 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 expecting to like it but there's time for all the oh i was hoping it'd be like this oh they did that i guess you know there's time for all that later and it'll probably happen in some way shape or form right now let's just enjoy it let's enjoy this moment (laughs) very well said and uh, well, I'm, I'm I'm glad to hear that you are enjoying the moment. As far as your rewatch goes, uh, how active has that been? If if it's been active, it and- it, it, it has been active. It's, oh, it's, right. uh, uh, like the crew of the Voyager. I'm I'm making best possible speed towards home. So uh, <laughs> I, let's hope it doesn't take you eight years. Yeah, right. Exactly. I so I'm I'm into the first season of Voyager. the The last episode of that uh, we watched was I think it's called State of Flux, which is where the character Seska is revealed to be right. uh, an unsavory sort. And uh, I'll tell you, I mean, I I watched. I that might be up to the episode that I watched of Voyager during its initial airing, mm. and and then I just dropped off, and not because I was like, oh, this show sucks. Um, I just stopped, you know, and, and I'm watching it now. And, and the truth of it is that over the course of the last 20 plus years, you know, that narrative of, Oh, Voyager sucked. And, you know, that sort of, there's that narrative that's baked in the cake in certain corners of fandom. And, and just, I'm going to plead guilty and say, to some extent I bought into that. Mm-hmm. And so I was never like, Oh, this show sucks, but it was never on my, like, it was not, it was not on my list of like, Oh, I got to make sure I do that. You know what I mean? Sure. And, and, you know, and then during the course of my watch of, of TNG with my boys, and then I was like, oh, and we're going to do Deep Space Nine. They were like, well, are we going to do Voyager? And I was like, well, I don't have a good reason not to do Voyager because I'm not going to like, I don't want to prejudice them. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Sure. And and I, uh, when I talked to Brandon Braga a couple of years ago, when he was referring to Enterprise, he said, what I always tell people about Enterprise, people have never given it a chance, is if you like Star Trek, here's a hundred Star Treks you've never seen. Yeah. Maybe maybe you'll like some, maybe you won't, but there's a lot of Star Trek you haven't seen. And I was like, well, that's Voyager, right? Yeah. And yeah. and I got to tell you, I'm, I've just been really enjoying it. I've been I've been enjoying going back and forth, uh, watching both, and they are so different. And uh, it's just been a great experience. You know, I think these characters are really fun. I think um, 
I, at least this thus far, you know, I mean, I think the narrative that has existed and, and I couch that by saying, I know that that's not the predominant narrative, but there is, I mean, you guys know this, there is sort of that out there in the fan ether, like, Oh, this is like the, one of the weaker ones. I'm like, you know what? It's good to me. I like it. Yeah. You know? well, the thing that immediately comes to mind as far as a modern comparison is concerned and feel free to tell me if you guys agree or disagree with this, but it's like in 2014, when you went into the theater to watch Captain America, the Winter Soldier, and then you returned a couple months later to watch Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, like two totally, completely different tones yeah. that define those works, but they're concurrently running and they take place in the same shared world. Yes. And I mean, Star Trek put that to the test well before a lot of other things did and when shared universes were in vogue. And I think that especially the competing tones of Voyager and Deep Space Nine make it fun to shift between the two. I, I, would think. I agree. I agree. And, and you know, the, the, what's the, the, what I've, and maybe I've discussed this with you guys before, but watching it with my kids has been so um, illuminating for me sure. because, because it illustrates some of the wisdom of the thing that many people have criticized Roddenberry's utopianism about, which is, you know, these are perfect characters and they're, you know, they're so upright and whatever. And, and, you know, that's always been the thing like, oh, how do you get drama in there? And that's, you know, that, there's validity to that. But then, you know, just this Voyager that I watched just the other day, uh, I forget what it's called, but it's where they, um, they have the opportunity to get this like space folding device. Right. Yes, um, yes, yes. You know, you know, and it, and it, the episode ends with, uh, you know, a couple of the characters acquiring this thing and it nearly blows the ship up, but they prevent that from happening. And they have the opportunity to just be like, all right, Hey, let's just delete this from the, from the data and we'll pretend nothing happened. No one has to be the wiser. And, and Bellana is like, no, we're going to, we're going to tell the captain what happened. We did this. We're going to own it. Right. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, and then Tuvok kind of jumps in on that too. And and my point is, I got to after that episode ended, I got to have a conversation with my kids about that. I was like, "Look at that! Did you do you see that? That's what it means to show character, even when it's even when you have the opportunity to just wash your hands clean. You do the right thing. You do the right thing when it's hard, not when it's easy. Right. You know. Yeah. And and who knows if these seeds that we're planting will take root the way we hope? But I'm glad I have the opportunity through this vehicle to to hopefully show my kids what it means to be the best version of themselves is that that i think that was uh eye of the needle that's right that was the name of the that was the title of that episode nice there you go (laughs) Uh, well hey i mean it's still fresh in cicero's you know we all have i think kind of an interesting relationship with voyager just because uh well i mean i wrote it off personally until i sat down and watched it all the way through. And then Cicero watched the whole thing recently. And Rachel, you kind of like it, but you've never been overly. I love Janeway. Mm -hmm. Sure. Like the rest of the rest of it. I sometimes I like it. Sometimes I don't. It's been a long time since I've seen it. I think I'm probably due for a rewatch. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, Cicero, Cicero, it is Prime Factors, by the way. Just, oh, okay. All right. Yeah, because um, it's about the Prime Directive. And, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, yeah, that was episode nine. Well, and I mean, the stuff that it brought to the table was important. I mean, I have a love-hate relationship with the way that that show treated the Borg. Sure. But we also got seven of nine out of it, and we're about to get more. Right. There you go. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so, 
uh, I mean, it, it left a, an impression on the franchise. And like you said, if it's Star Trek you've never seen, then it's a whole bunch of Star Trek that's new to you. Right. And, and there ain't nothing wrong with that. Yeah. No, no. Yeah, you're over here not. convincing me, Zach. I'm like, yeah, I've seen it so long. I probably don't remember most of it. I mean, yeah, I I'll be honest. It's been – I've been trying to – I've been racking my brain thinking about what it was back in the 90s that made me drop off. And, and I've just – you know, and – and I I don't know, but I'm like I'm like was I was it because I just didn't want to watch a show with a female captain? Was that me? I hope not. You know, and I'm like right. going through this. I, I'm like racking my own feelings for all of this because I'm like there was no reason for me to stop watching it. I think you know? there may have been some Star Trek fatigue because that's be- entirely possible. Yeah, because yeah. it was it was you know TNG. You totally revitalized everything. Uh, DS9 at the time was so very divisive, um, you know, immediately kind of shunned by people that were, you know, true, true fans because they weren't going anywhere. It wasn't a spaceship, blah, 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 all of those things. And then, you know, so, you know, uh, TNG bled into DS9 and, and then Voyager bled into DS9. Uh, so yeah. I think by that time, because people weren't over the moon uh, just at the surface with right. what Star Trek was, I think there was a little bit of fatigue, um, much, much like, and, and, you know, to the chagrin of the showrunners uh, of Voyager and, you know, obviously history is, as has proven them right uh, to, to kind of go on the, the path that they went much, much like uh, the, the unjustly maligned, uh, Star Wars story solo. Um, and I, I think that, yeah, I think people were, uh, were very kind of, um, uh, the last Jedi was very divisive and, and them releasing solo six months after that very divisive film, uh, led to some people having a, a bit of, uh, negative feelings, general malaise, uh, towards the Star Wars franchise. And I think that, affected um, Solo much more than what you actually saw on film. Because I thought it was fine. I thought it was a fun, fun movie. The, and I the performances the performances were great, I think, uh, you know, especially. I think it's also that yeah, go ahead. for Solo, it's the casual fans, right? Like, I, or casual people did not go to see Solo. Like, I'm, I, you know, at work, I'm around a lot of people who are not, like, Star Wars fans. And they're like, there's a, there's a Star Wars? like like they they didn't know about it right and i mean that's a that's a thing with franchise fatigue too is like they're like but didn't didn't i just see that like if if there's star trek is on you know multiple nights a week too it's the same thing like yeah that's always on right Right. there is a comparison to be drawn i mean it's kind of weird to think about it but I, i think it's true star wars is kind of in its infancy is like this multimedia juggernaut that Disney is making it out to be. Not that it, Star Wars was never a juggernaut, but it was before it was just the movies. Right. Movies and, and action movies, figures. There's going to be more else, TV. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, animated and live action TV coming out. And this is all territory that Star Trek has trodden before, right. except for animation. But it had animation before. Right. Yeah. And uh, we'll have to see if it kind of hits the same sort of pitfalls. That, I mean, Star Trek has also had theme park attractions before Star Wars did. So it's, <laughs> it's weird to think about how 
Star Wars is starting to catch up, even though, like, as far as the popularity is well, concerned, it's all you know what? And actually, that's that's actually kind of uh, poignant um, that we're that we're talking about that because I I think that there is I'm I'm hoping not, but I think with with the the slate of of shows that uh, that the showrunners from you know that the 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 uh, holders of the Star Trek franchise are trying to push out right now on CBS All Access. There is a a the potential for Star Trek fatigue. Um, you know, with with phase two, yeah, Star Trek fatigue phase, phase two. two, right, right, exactly. <laughs> where where there are, you know, I mean, we've got we've got one show that's running that's you know about to approach its third season. We've got a you know a new show from a beloved character that's starting its first season, and we've already got two other shows announced. Um, you know, above and beyond that, with with the hope, at least on this show, that there will be another show starring Pike and Spock and Number One and and you know the adventures of of seventeen oh one. Um, (laughs) well, but of course the key difference is that for the new Star Trek TV shows that are coming, uh, that are coming along, we have to actually buy into them. Yes, that is correct. Uh, Well, I mean, you got to buy a ticket. Which is going to be the case for Star Wars. Right. You got to buy a ticket (laughs) to see Star Wars. When when the Mandalorian comes along. But, um, I mean, it'll just be interesting to see the, the path that's, that's ultimately charted from all of this. But we do have a lot of new stuff to talk about. So. Uh, I, Zachy, again, welcome back. Thank you. Uh, but I think we are going to move ahead to talk about everything that's come out news wise in the Star Trek franchise over the past couple of months or over the past month, rather, particularly as it relates to Star Trek Las Vegas. So we want to start things off, of course, with Star Trek Picard. Uh, the news that started to come out for Picard actually predated uh, the Las Vegas convention. And Jonathan Frakes, who was promoting his upcoming appearance at Star Trek Las Vegas, gave an interview uh, with IGN where he talked about him, both he and Deanna Troy's return to the, the Star Trek universe. And the thing that I found most interesting about what he had to say is that the okay. <sighs> Rachel just pointed at an ad that totally took my concentration. <laughs> it says time travel through the Bible. What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> Let's talk about something better. Uh, uh, you know, it's the voyage home. <laughs> uh, but anyway. One of the things that really caught my attention was what Jonathan Frakes had to say about where we pick up uh, Riker. And I was actually kind of nervous. I was like, I hope they don't do something weird and cynical, like have them divorced and, you know, like obsessed with their careers or something. But Jonathan Frakes said, the stuff is great. I can't obviously tell you, but Marina and I, well, you'll see where we are. We're together and it's quite non-military. I'll say that. And I find that really interesting because honestly, one of the questions that came up in my mind, because we've always seen Riker as like a career first guy. I mean, that's what drove him away from Deanna Troy the first time they were together. 
And the idea that he and his now wife have been able to move on from Starfleet. First of all, now we know why Picard didn't go to Riker for help with whatever he's trying to get done in this show. But I wonder how a, a retired lifestyle is going to uh, to fit for Will Riker. Rachel, what do you think? I think they have a bunch of kids. Yeah? Yeah. They live on a farm. <laughs> Bunch of kids, bunch of little Rikers running around. Yeah, yeah. Or well, mi- I think that's what he's very non-military. I don't know. To me, that just like oh, so like, that means like domestic. Yeah, like I was thinking, uh, they probably have some kids and stuff. And I think the world could use some some Rikers and Troys, yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a, it's an interesting idea, uh, Cicero. What do you think about a post-military Riker Riker Troy family? I think the Troy Rikers. Um, are running a hedonism compound. <laughs> um, and yeah, so that that is more why Picard didn't uh, seek out Riker is because they're bohemians now. And uh, Orgons hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> yes, right? yes yeah. exactly. And they're, they're, uh, they, they no longer uh, wish to, um, you know, uh, act, act aggressively towards people. Unless it's in the bedroom. <laughs> Excellent. Well, well, I mean, Zach engage. <laughs> Full speed ahead. Make it so, right? <laughs> Zach, or maybe get more appropriately for Captain Pike. Hit it. Hit it. <laughs> oh, perfect. Oh, we missed. We missed this. We really did. Uh, but Zachy, like all good things position Riker as uh, as an admiral which is around the same time as as where we're picking things up in Picard. Uh what do you think of the idea of a uh, of a retired Will Riker who may not have even made it to the admiralty for all we know. Well and and I mean from from what Frake says he's like he's like it's non-military. So I like the idea of him being retired from the service, but not retired from life. And I do like the idea of something we've never seen in any iteration of Star Trek with with our characters is what is life like once you hand in your com badge? Yeah, right. Sure. And and I that that's something that's appealing to me just in terms of the the landscape of this universe, which is when you think about it, we've we've never gotten this far in their personal chronologies yeah the closest i think we've seen is when uh when uh admiral kirk forcibly recalled leonard mccoy who was pissed about it if memory serves yeah. correctly and and then a hundred plus years later he's still active yeah. duty right yeah <laughs> right so once he came back he stayed he's, in, he's you know? in they keep pulling me back in Poor McCoy. <laughs> so tired he's so very tired <laughs> well i mean it'll, it'll be interesting and that's not to say that because uh, we never really had any indication about uh what deanna troy's ultimate like lifetime aspirations were like she obviously took her job very seriously but we never really she didn't really talk all that much outside of you know when that alien baby grew very rapidly uh hmm. and and ultimately died any sort of like motherly aspirations or familial aspirations but um i, I think it should be really interesting to see you know just the fact 
I, I do, Chris, I do like that they're not force awakening it by having them broken up. And I, I think, I think we don't, I don't think anybody wants no. that. I think we want Troy and Riker to be get together and it's smart to lean into that and not subvert expectations. So I, I've got, I've actually got two non-jokey uh, speculations about what they're doing. Uh, the first is uh, what if they dove into politics and now we've mm. we've seen ambassadors floated around all over the place, mm-hmm. but we we've never really seen our characters involve themselves in galactic politics in a in a real way. In, in you know, that's a good idea. You know, like what what is what does that mean in the in the twenty fourth century? Uh, you know, like uh, what what are you know how does that happen what are the votes what is you know what is the political the actual political process uh like um so that would be that would be interesting to me and and you know and it gives them a, a large breath to kind of uh do lots of different things with uh with those characters and within the canon See now, uh, now you now you're speaking my language, Cicero. Because yeah, yeah, I've spent yeah. an inordinate amount of time thinking about the governmental structure of the United Federation of Planets. Yeah, well, there and you go. The, <laughs> I think my wife would react the same way if I said something. Like that. Right. Right. So, Continue. What, what we know about the structure of the Federation government is that. There is a head of state, but right. it's primarily led by a council, by a federation council, right. uh, which is divorced entire. So the c- civilian government and the military are not intertwined. There is a separately appointed commander in chief of Starfleet who operates in a separate capacity from the federation president. Hmm. Wh- what you say, it occurs to me that having Riker or Troy as members or one of them as a member of the Federation Council could be really interesting if they decided to have, you know, like a a post Starfleet life that was still in some kind of governmental service. Right. Uh, Right. Well, I mean, it's definitely non-military. Yeah. Um, that, that the phrasing is very specific says road. That's you, you saying that I'm like, how did I not think of that? Yeah. Um, the the other uh, non-jokey speculative uh, thing that I was thinking about was uh, academia. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, here are two people that have been in leadership positions, and you know, as as uh, as we sit here and talk with a great professor, um, there yeah. there there is there is no greater leadership of young minds than a professor. Um, you know, that they can, they can help shape the future and, and it could be, you know, you could be doing academic stuff, you know, Riker, Professor Riker, uh, who is the professor of, you know, tactics and strategies and what have you. Um, I mean, he's, he's got the hell, a hell of a resume for, for that stuff and who better to run your, you know, psychological ward or wing or, you know, school of psychology than, than a Betazoid, the Betazoid, right? So those are those are two ideas that popped into my head. I think those are really good ideas. I, I'd be very interested to see if, yeah, because the first thing that came to my head was just something that was far quieter than that, but there's no reason to think why they couldn't be doing either of those things. 
But well said, Cicero. I'll be really interested to see what happens with that. Um, The next little news item I wanted to touch on with you guys, especially for our uh, resurgent Voyager observers, uh, speaking at the London Film and Comic-Con in late July, the Trekkie Girls podcast caught up with Robert Picardo. And what does that have to do with Picard? Well, he said this, quote, I'm pleased that CBS have expressed interest in me. They've reached out to my agent about next season. So I'm looking forward to see what it is. As you know, I play two characters, primarily the Doctor, but also Louis Zimmerman, who is the father of the Doctor's holographic matrix. So the Doctor or Louis Zimmerman or both could be in the cards for Picard season two. Uh, Cicero, I know I don't really know too much about what your perspective is on the character of the Doctor specifically. Uh, so what do you think of the idea of him showing up in the very late 24th or early 25th centuries? My absolute favorite character from Voyager oh, really? okay. is the Doctor. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, with, without question, his arc is is the thing like if I go back and watch Voyager it will be from the perspective of the doctor like his is the arc that I am I I like I think his growth throughout the course of the series was was the greatest um and and um of the people there I think he was the best actor with a capital A and I, you know and the stories that featured him uh, specifically were far and away the the you know if you have a top ten list of Voyager episodes eight of them will be episodes that feature the Doctor. Mm. So yeah, so I'm I, I hate this idea. I hate it. <laughs> kill it. Kill it with fire. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you? Um, I, I'm I'm struggling to think, but I have no reason to believe that Zimmerman wouldn't be a part of it in some capacity. Would you prefer just the Doctor, or would you like to see Louis Zimmerman again? Uh, I mean, one of the great things about Robert Picardo is his ability to comp- to compartmentalize his performances. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that was something that you know that was the thing that really made the Doctor great and made him as an actor on that show great was that he could play the same character seventeen different ways, right? Um, and each one was distinct and believable. So, uh, you know, I could I could definitely see both characters potentially um, making their way. And and you know, and and the thing about it is the EMH that was on Voyager. And may, you know, maybe we do get the EMH that was on Voyager. Um, mm-hmm. You know, since we're getting Seven, who was on Voyager, um, maybe that's the one that we get. And you know, maybe we also do get Doctor Zimmerman. Um, but maybe we get Dr. Zimmerman and a different EMH, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so like, I'm, I'm here for it, whatever, whatever it is. Um, uh, Bob Picardo was on an episode of, uh, the Orville. That's right. And he was fantastic on that as well. Yeah. So, yeah. um, so yeah, so, you know, I'm just happy to see him, you know, back in space. Also had a pretty solid, memorable appearance as Dr. Zimmerman on deep space nine too, which is yes. always yes. fun to watch, but Rachel, the doctor, you seem to enjoy the doctor when we have revisited episodes of Voyager. Do you think, uh, you'd like to see him show up in Picard? Yeah, absolutely. I always like the characters that are trying to be people. 
Sure. Yeah. <laughs> They're like learning how to be human. Which is different for the doctor because he comes from a more like human-like template than someone like Data, Spock, or Odo. Yeah, that's true. He's more like he's trying to get other people to see him as a full human. I think he right. already feels right. like he is. I, right. I, it, it was – I think the arc between – or the 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 the, the uh, way that – Bob Picardo and Jerry Ryan played off of each other in later seasons of Voyager really kind of played to that point that you're making right now, uh, Rachel, where, where they, they both were trying to, where it was, it was basically the hologram teaching seven, teaching the human how to be human. Yeah. And both of them were going out into the rest of the crew trying to show that they were just as human as everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. Very yeah. true. Well said. Uh, Zachy, at the point you're in Voyager right now, I think the doctor is just annoyed that he's staying on for too long. But, uh, yeah. but given your um, your perspective just on the wider universe and what you do know about both the doctor and Dr. Zimmerman, what do you think about this? You know, I think anything in this new show that – acknowledges and extends sort of the tendrils to what has happened before is is all good it's all gravy you know i think i think we all you know i think going in i, I when the show was first announced i i had my questions of like how connected is it going to be so when you watch this trailer and you're like oh well there's seven and there's hugh borg and then you're like oh and Riker's going to be back and oh and there's data and there's you know and you get to say oh see the 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 tapestry that is Star Trek continuity is something that pays forward and backwards, you know? So this is, this is a show that gets, gets to carry the ball forward while still getting our neurons firing by making us remember all those other things that we love. So I certainly, I don't want it to be like the guest Trek guest star of the week, right. Cheers. but I love, Cheers yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, but, but I like that the option exists. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Very well said. Well, um, let's move along to uh, potentially the most shocking inclusion of the of the Comic Con trailer that dropped in in Data. Uh, at least for me, it was. I, I don't know about you guys, but um, speaking to the Las Vegas Review Journal before uh, Star Trek Las Vegas, Brent Spiner said this about his part in, in Picard. He said, Data makes appearances in the show. I can say that. And Data is a story point in this season as well. But I'm not in every episode. I'm not a major character on the show. And what that indicates to me is that he's still dead and that there's something, uh, whether it's in Picard's own mind or uh, whether the, I guess, the memory engrams of Data survived into B4 and are preserved in some other capacity. I don't know if Data has physical form except for when he is being looked at potentially by Picard because he would go on to say at his Star Trek Las Vegas panel that the only person he's played scenes with on set is Patrick Stewart. So uh, I, what do you guys think about this? Did you think that the return of data was a long shot al already? And what do you think of uh, potentially getting data uh, if not as a fully fledged uh, corporeal character just to have his place on the show like this, Zachy. 
you know, any 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 way we can get uh, Brent Spiner on here is is fine with me. Uh, I I do think I, I'm fairly certain it's like a holodeck thing, um, and and I think if uh, the only part that that makes me curious about is uh, whether that in essence decanonizes the stories that we've seen taking place in the interim, which sort of show that that uh, data, you know, that B four like becomes data, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, yeah, that's true. I'm I'm. It, the, that EU stuff is always so fluid. It's, it's hard to tell. Yeah, exactly. Rachel, you love data. Uh, did you hope that maybe he would be back in a fully fledged capacity? Or are you okay with however Brent Spiner plays him again? I guess because of my exposure to the EU stuff in my mind, I had just undone, undone his death anyway. <laughs> So it's like, oh, yeah, like he goes into B4. Mm-hmm. Like, no problem. <laughs> um, that's probably kind of a large logical leap for the show to make for a character that's not a main character. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I agree that he's probably some sort of uh, hologram or hallucination or dream or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but but then why does he have Before's body? Like, why did... The, why did yeah, the 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 doctor played by Allison Pill opens that drawer, and yeah. there is a physical Soong type android in that in that drawer disassembled. Yeah, well, or could they be the fragments of data recovered from the wreckage of the scimitar? Probably not, because <laughs> hey, you want to see Data's body? <laughs> Here it is. Y'all want to see Data's body? <laughs> Anybody got a flashlight and a couple of shovels? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah but uh yeah that's true well anyway i'm fine with i agree with zach yeah i'm fine with however we get to see brown spiner mm-hmm. yeah sure cicero uh seeing data again how do you feel about it so a few years ago uh there was a, a video game by warner brothers called batman arkham knight ah, i know where and, you're going with this. yeah and in and in this game um the joker appears prominently but it turns out, spoiler alert for Arkham Knight, great game though, by the way, uh, is that uh, early on you you find out that the uh, Joker is actually just a machination of uh, Batman's mind. Yeah. Uh, and he is communicating, the Joker is communicating and basically is the id um, for for Batman throughout the, throughout the uh, the entire entirety of the game. Um that would be very interesting to see, um, to see if there is some kind of conflict, to see how data plays into that and, and uh, you know, what that does to Picard and how Picard deals with those things. Um, that would be a really, really cool uh, storytelling technique, I think. Um, what I'm most interested in finding out is what they do with the makeup for data for Brett Spiner, huh. you know, huh. because it's been 20 years. A long road. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It, it has been a long road for, for <laughs> Brent Spiner. And, you know, and while I have seen him in other films uh, since, since the last time I saw him as data, um, I would say that he definitely does not look like the data that we remember. 
um, in, in all of that stuff. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how they de-age a character who is not supposed to age. Well, data actually does age though. The, the TNG said that, but that, that was, he also died 20 years ago. So, right. you know, whatever form that takes is, is going, he's going to look different. Uh, and the glimpse that we caught of him in the Picard trailer he he doesn't look the same. He doesn't look. I'm not saying he looks bad or anything, but he does not look the same. There is a notable difference, particularly in like even the shape of his irises and his his skin does seem a little less human than it did even during the the heyday of the show. Uh, but it should be really interesting. Um, he also said at his Star Trek Las Vegas panel, "I'm delighted to be a part of the show, and all I am is a part of the show. I want to make it semi clear because I don't want to make it too clear." that I am not a regular on the show. Data did die at the end of Nemesis, but I am on the show. I do make appearances. Data's story is a part of the thread of the show. And, um, you know, obviously we can't read too much into that. And I'm fine with not really knowing what the, the full details are concerning Data's return. But the fact of the matter at the end of the day is that we get more Data when before I think a lot of us thought, as Zachy alluded to at the top of the show, we didn't really think that was possible. And, um, and the fact that we, we do get to see him is, is great. And I like too, that uh, Brent Spiner answered a fan question about how long it took him to get back into the mindset of the character, because that's honestly something I've wondered about too. Uh, he's always been like the most flippant cast member. He seems like the funniest cast member of the next generation. And uh, I was just kind of curious about how he finds that place again. And he said that it, it took less time than it took him to get into the makeup. He said it really kind of came <laughs> back. It really was sort of with Patrick and I sitting there looking at each other. It came back really quickly. But the last thing he said that I wanted to run by you guys particularly, because we have talked off and on about varying feelings that we have about 2002 Star Trek Nemesis. And not all of them are positive. Surprise, surprise. Uh, I always try to hold my tongue because someday we're going to do like a whole discussion of it, right? Yeah, I think so. Right. I think be <laughs> fun. But so uh, Brent Spiner said this at his panel. He said, I really liked Star Trek Nemesis. I co-wrote the story with Rick Berman and John Logan. Tom Hardy was fantastic as Shinzon. I think there were things that don't work about it. But in general, looking back, it is a more satisfying film than you remember. There was a lot of disappointment because the guy, um, Data, was killed. <laughs> but he also quickly conceded that, obviously, First Contact was the best Next Generation movie. Uh, he said there's no way around it. Ron Moore and Brandon Bragger wrote a great script, and Jonathan Frakes really rose to the occasion on directing. But uh, just briefly before we move on, and I'm going to start with Zaki, who I think is the most ardent critic of, of Nemesis. A more satisfying film than you remember. Thoughts? <laughs> I do have thoughts on this, actually, because as it happens, I just rewatched Nemesis just a couple of weeks ago. Really? Um, it, just okay. by chance, yeah. Uh, it's not a good movie. I think I, wa I want to put that right on Front Street. However, however, uh, to me, uh, Nemesis now feels a little bit like X-Men The Last Stand, where what irked me about both 
And actually, the Patrick Stewart connection didn't occur to me until literally <laughs> just a second. But what what irked me about both of those films was the way it f- was forced to become the ending of this story that deserved a better ending, or at least had some more room to go, right? And so when I that was always the context in which I viewed Nemesis, which I thought has it has some really good moments. You know, I think I think uh, Picard uh, Picard's uh, uh, toast to Riker is terrific. I think his when he's when he's talking to Shinzon and he's talking about how you know did uh, a Starfleet captain here in the Romulan Senate what a moment. You know, uh, it's great great stuff. Um, I, I think uh, the director, what, what's his face, Stuart Baird, he chopped the guts out of that thing. When you look at the deleted scenes, I mean, that those are the heart and soul of that movie. That's the stuff that yeah. the fans would have wanted, right? And and so it's it's this weird thing where it's like, well, it is a deeply imperfect thing, but now knowing that the next generation saga is continuing in some way, shape, or form, you get to look at Nemesis and say, well, it's more like a little bump in the road. It's not the end of the road. It's a speed. Yeah, bump. that is a new uh, a new perspective that is only just now possible. Yeah, yeah. So, so as by way of corollary, there was a moment where back in you know the the late eighties, where the final frontier was going to be the last oh Star Trek movie. Right, right, right. And I have a feeling that movie, which is not beloved by any stretch, I think it would be hated even more if yeah. it in fact was. Yes. Yes. Right, but they got to come back and you know go out with with their boots on, and so you, you look at five and you're like, well, it's just it's a chance to hang out with these friends that we love, um, and I think that's Nemesis. It's like, well, it's it's one more chance, and is it their best one? No, but you know, there's there's of course others. the key difference being uh, between Star Trek five and six, two years elapsed, and uh, this December marks the seventeenth right. anniversary of Star Trek Nemesis. But who's counting? <laughs> Well, they got there, they got there eventually. That's <laughs> no, the but I think that's a really good point. Um, uh, yeah, I can't imagine how I would feel about Star Trek V, particularly if uh, they never made my favorite film in the franchise. So, uh, yeah, right. very very well said. Very well said. Uh, anybody else have any thoughts on Nemesis they want to share? Yeah, yeah. I'll just I'll just say quickly that uh, whenever you're working on a project, there are things uh, that are on the page that don't make it to the screen. There are things that aren't even on the page that you glean insights about because the creators are there explaining those things to you, and that innate and innately gives you. Um, a, a greater appreciation for the project that for which you're working than the layperson than than the consumer, um, you know, unless everything that was that was given to you is then translated onto whatever the medium is, and so I think from from that perspective, uh, Brent Spiner's perspective about Nemesis is always going to be more reverential than than ours. Mm-hmm. Um, just because he knows more about what they were trying to do than than we do. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So, I mean, like you you kind of have to take his, his defense of it. You know, and I know this is kind of tongue in cheek, but his defense of Nemesis, you kind of have to take with a grain of salt um, because he was privy to more about what they were trying to do and what you know what each scene meant than than we were. Yeah, I mean, he was an architect of the of the story in Nemesis. So yes, absolutely. 
I think the, the point is very well taken. It is natural that he would care more about it. Uh, yeah, well said. All right, so it's been a while since I've seen Nemesis, but isn't there – Shinzon does something to Troy in it, right? It's kind of a mind rape, yeah. I hate that. Yeah. I, like, physically hate it so much that I don't want to ever yeah. watch the movie. I understand Like that. I Like, it just bothers me so much. It was a different time rate. You watch that? Uh, like, watching it now from 2019, I'm just like, how in the universe did – anyone think this was a good idea right and and it tells me like uh, you know it's it's like i can't imagine that marina certis was okay with it and it tells it told me like it's like nobody cared to listen to her yeah it's just that for me like there are so many other problems with it but for that for me makes it like that's a single thing that i'm like i don't want to I don't want to watch this. I understand that. I do. I mean, when I think of the moments that I like out of that movie, that is not the thing that I that even comes even close just, to it, my like, mind. It makes my skin crawl, like the whole thing. That's like, understandable. Just, yeah. yeah. No, it was not a it was not a good moment. Absolutely. Misfire, Mr. Baird. Uh, I still respect you because you edited Superman the movie, but come on, man. That that wasn't cool. Well, he should he should stick to editing. <laughs> I mean, he should. I mean, look, the movies he's directed have generally been not very good. I mean, it's just there's he no doubt he's skilled as an editor, but like US Marshals is the sequel to Fugitive it's and it's freaking awful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? Maybe that's Wesley Snipes, I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, you mean Lawrence Fishburne? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh man, I haven't thought about that in a long time. I, no. I, actually, I need to clarify yes. this because if somebody's listening to this out of yes. context, they'll be like, "What the hell, Zachy?" So there was a thing. There was a thing on Hollywood Reporter yesterday talking about how Wesley Snipes is appearing in the sequel to Coming to America, and the little hype blurb from uh, from Hollywood Reporter says the Matrix star is joining oh, the coming that, to America. Oh, yeah, I did. I was thinking about, do you remember it was a local news report where someone was talking to Samuel L. Jackson? Yes. And they called Sam him, Jackson. or they basically yep. confused him with Lawrence Fishburne and he jumped down their throat nice. and it was beautiful. Like the, yes. Oh, me. man. What is it about as, as a black as a black man who has been uh, confused for many different people, some of whom who were in the same room <laughs> with me at the same time in eyesight of the person who was confusing us. Good for anyone who who goes out and and says something. Yeah. Oh boy! Um, yes. Wow. Well, after that bundle of joy uh, there's a couple other things that i want to run by you guys first of all jonathan frakes on point pictures from his uh stlv panel he's wearing a shirt that says don't ask me i signed an nda which i love <laughs> Great but shirt. he was also talking Great about shirt. um so he is both directing and acting in picard and uh, he described when he and uh, Patrick Stewart had, uh, had had shared a scene together, and I want to read it for, for you guys. So he says, I will share this just between me and you in front of an entire crowd. I did play one scene with Picard already. I won't tell you anything about it except this. At the end of the scene, we were in three different locations. Doug Aronakoski, Aron- Aron- I think that's how you say his name. Uh, the director said, I have to go on to the next set, and I will leave you guys here with a camera drone. 
So the drone comes and shoots. The two of us play the scene and off in the woods is somebody with Patrick's chair and the second assistant director and Alex Kurtzman. And Patrick says, I think we've done it, Johnny. And I said, I think so too. So we walk and it's just the two of us. The entire company of 150 people have moved on to the next set, which is in another part. And he says, is there anything better than spending the day with filmmakers who know what they're doing and be able to work with people you love? So it sounds like he's just relishing this. He's He also related earlier, and I don't want to read the whole quote, but he related some insecurity about the idea of bringing Riker back for the first time in 16, 17 years. And that's astonishing to me just because uh, I think Jonathan Frakes is a good actor and maybe he just feels like he's a little out of practice. But man, I was already excited for Picard, but I love the character of Will Riker so much that I just cannot wait to see him again. Whatever form he's in, I know that Frakes is going to knock it out of the park like he's done a thousand times before. And I just wanted to share that before we move on. Excellent. Uh, I concur. Another interesting comment, though, came from Jerry Ryan, who said that, uh, you know, she's glad that the the cat suit, the infamous cat suit that she had to wear during her seasons on Voyager is gone. But uh, she had problems uh, finding the voice again for Seven of Nine. And she said, uh, I was freaking out. She was a very specific character for four years on Voyager. There was a lot of growth and all of that. She went from being a machine to learning to be human, but particularly the way she moved and her voice. That was what I was really hung up on. Her voice didn't change that much in four years. She had a very stilted, very formal, very stylized way of speaking at the end of Voyager. So when I got the initial script and I knew from the original pitch a year and a half ago that she is not the same seven. She's much more human. She's been on earth for a long time and she's been through a lot. So when I saw that initial script and as you saw the line, what the hell are you doing out here? It's a very different voice. And that was freaking me out. And she went on to describe how Jonathan Del Arco helped her through it. The actor who plays Hugh by saying, well, maybe she's just trying to find a way to be human. And this is a 20 year culmination of her attempting to fit in. And for whatever reason, that's what clicked with her to find the new voice for Seven. Um, the thing that I want to ask you guys, uh, and I'm, I'll start with Cicero just because he's the one who's watched the show most recently. You have Seven of Nine as a character who fills a very specific part in that show, a fascinating part for that for that back half of, of Star Trek Voyager. When you change her voice to the extent that it sounds like they're going to uh, – does that take away too much from what we've seen before or does it add a, a new dimension that could potentially be as satisfying as the person you knew all those years ago? I, I think it's a hundred percent that it adds, it adds something to the character. The last thing you want to see is, you know, 20, 30 years into the future of this character that over the course of four years, you got to see, grow exponentially to think that she just wound up in some type of cryo chamber um, and, you know, uh, some emotional cryo chamber. And when they popped her back out again, she was, you know, exactly the same as she was then, despite all of the other uh, influences she may have had over the course of those 20, 20 odd years just doesn't make sense. It just, it is very anachronistic. So um, the fact that she is going in and, and 
the character fundamentally is different with those same memories um, is is part of the growth, is part of why we're tuning into Picard in the first place, right, is, is to see where these characters are now. Um, and the last thing you'd want is for uh, Picard to have grown and, and to see Riker and Troy come in and they have grown uh, and, and you know, and, and all of these other characters, but then you bring in the the one recovered Borg, and she has not. Like, sure. that makes no yeah, sense. Very well said, and I'm inclined to agree with you. Rachel, the evolution of Seven of Nine, uh, do you think that they're – are you intrigued by this more human take on what she brings to the table now? Yeah. Well, now I'm that I've heard this information, I'm interested to see what else – she has in store for the voice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's really, really interesting. And I, that is a really difficult acting question because she doesn't change for four years. And then you're like, well, she has to change. So how do you make it still sound like her, but different? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know how I would solve it because whatever clicked for her there did not click for me. Mm-hmm. I'm like I don't I don't understand, but I am no actor, so uh, <laughs> so yeah, I'm looking forward to see see what that interpretation is. Well, on the panel stage, for for what it's worth, um, Jonathan Frakes revealed how Patrick Stewart feels about working with Jerry Ryan, and Frakes said, "I asked Patrick what it was like working with Jerry, and he said she is marvelous, Johnny. She is so present. So uh, if nothing else, I think Seven of Nine was a very present." character in, in her appearances. Zachy, yes. how well developed is your perspective on seven of nine? I mean, I just know her as like the pinup fantasy that, uh, you know, powered several, several, uh, you know, pubescent <laughs> Trekkies through their adolescence. Right. Like I, 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 uh, I've, what I've seen of her on the show is 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 negligible, and it, that's it, no 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 statement on Jerry Ryan's performance on the show because I've seen her in other things. But uh, I know enough of Seven of Nine to know that she was definitely playing her a different way. And this, I was actually hoping she would have gone even further into doing like like a Jersey <laughs> accent, like out of the Sopranos, just something completely incongruous, right, just to mess with right. people. I need um, some gabagool. I, yeah, you know. <laughs> Um, I, I, I don't, I don't know the character. So, uh, all I can say is I'm glad that people sure. seem to be excited to see her again. And if, if people, if the level of people's complaint is that she's not wearing that painted on spandex number, then, yeah. you know, boo freaking who, right? Yeah. I mean, she's also like 55 now, so you'd never you know. know it by looking at uh, her though. Yeah. Right. Well, yes. I was about yes, to say, yes. yeah. She hit the genetic uh, jackpot. Yeah. Um, well, what I will say also, Chris, is is kind of pointing back to what I was saying before about um, receiving direction, getting getting information that's not necessarily on the page. These are, you know, uh, Seven's portrayal and Picard will be a departure from you know who who she was or who fans knew her to be. Um, on Voyager, and I wonder how that's going to play above and you know outside of the fact that she's not wearing the same uh, dumb outfit that mm-hmm. she was wearing before, but like the fact that she is going to have changed and grown, uh, 
will I wonder if fans not necessarily reject it, but will question it. Those fans who aren't as plugged in as we are here um, that didn't hear uh, the things that came out of Vegas um, over the over the weekend. I I wonder how that stuff is going to play too. Well, before we uh, move on to the next show, uh, some other announcements that came out of Las Vegas. There is going to be expanded universe material that will precede Picard in the form of both tie-in novels and comics. So starting this coming November, IDW is releasing a series called Star Trek Picard Countdown, which is a title that hopefully pretends good things considering previous series. It's a a three-issue mini that's written by Mike Johnson, who's been uh, the primary writer on most of IDW's Star Trek stuff since 2009, I believe. And uh, it's also being co-written by supervising producer Kirsten Beyer. Centers around a mission that would go on to change the life of the beloved Star Trek captain. So I kind of assume that it's going to be the attempt to save Romulus, but we will. Time will tell. And then, following the conclusion of the IDW series, uh, Simon and Schuster is going to be publishing Star Trek: Picard: The Last Best Hope as a novel, written by Una McCormick, who wrote the Star Trek Discovery tie-in novel, The Way to the Stars, that profiled Sylvia Tilly. So that should be interesting, and hopefully uh, our panelists will read it and we can talk about it before Picard actually shows up. But let's move on to the whole reason that we got together in the first place, shall we? Star Trek Discovery. Uh, So Season 2 is going to be coming to Blu-ray on November the 12th, and uh, shock and awe... At their panel at Star Trek Las Vegas, Anson Mount, or at their panels, I should say, Anson Mount and Ethan Peck, uh, they want to come back. We know that they're going to be back for some short treks that feature the crew of the Enterprise. And uh, it's it's kind of obvious that they, they should come back. Honestly, I'm a little disappointed that they didn't actually announce that this show was happening at Star Trek Las Vegas. I was expecting some big production announcement to come out of the show. And unfortunately we didn't get that. But as for the idea of, uh, of doing a shit, a shit, doing a shit, doing a shit, (laughs) been watching too much love Island with Rachel. Oh no. Uh, as, as far as the idea of doing a show aboard the enterprise with Ethan Peck as Spock and Rebecca Romaine is number one. Anson Mount said, obviously it's something I would love to do. It was never on my bucket list because I never thought it is something that could be on my bucket list. It would be wonderful. I love the franchise and I love these people. And he, he went on to say that we'll see. There's a lot of things going on at the network right now and within the franchise. And these decisions have to deal with many, many things that float above my pay grade or even outside my realm of knowledge. I'm as up to date as you guys. And uh, people just absolutely made their their feelings felt concerning the desire for a, uh, a, a an enterprise-based show. Uh, and Ethan Peck... Uh, excitement and magic he felt filming the series the season two finale for discovery that took place aboard the enterprise and um he said about his time as spock i was told about what would happen at the end of the season at a dinner i had with alex kurtzman and a bunch of the producers and he took me through and i remember being almost moved to tears because this has been such an emotional and incredible journey for me and i was in the middle of the season and just know that i was going to be a part of this sort of soaring narrative that ties into the canon and being a part of that it was surreal like living a dream and uh, his enthusiasm for star trek still remains not too much of a surprise but uh 
Now that we've had some time to sit with the characterization that we absorbed in season two of Star Trek Discovery for Captain Pike, for Spock, for number one, and even for the recharacterization of the Enterprise to a degree, how do you guys feel about the possibility presented both by the short treks that we are going to get to see and uh, the looming possibility of Star Trek 1701? Rachel, is that something that you want? Oh, yeah. I'll watch the hell out of that. Uh <laughs> I just think it's interesting that Anson Mount was like, oh, no, I don't know. And now he's like completely changed. His yeah. He's like, I'll do it for seven seasons. <laughs> like, okay. Someone did someone drive a dump truck full of money up to your house. Or maybe he's just starting to get his residuals from. Yeah. Maybe from he's stuff. like, I don't know. He just got married. Right. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Maybe he's got some bills to yeah. pay. But he know. does seem like he has a lot of affection for the character, too. I mean, of course, money is going to be a part of it for any actor that wants to work. But this character and the characterization of him, right? not only is it connected with people, but he seems pretty gung-ho about it. Yeah, I mean, probably more realistically, like I was kind of joking about the dump truck full of money. <laughs> but realistically, I think... When you have just finished shooting, actors can be sometimes like really exhausted and like, yeah, true. Like I know, like Daniel Craig after the last yeah. James Bond movie was just like very salty. Um, and you know, once they get some perspective, they're like, "Oh yeah, I, I could do that again. I could mm-hmm. do that again." And um, you know, and probably interacting with the fans and seeing the fan reaction to it yeah i'm sure that was part of it as well Mm -hmm. um so yeah i look forward to it yeah and those short treks are coming we are getting more pike just not as much as we would prefer to have coming down the pike Uh, (laughs) and rachel you just started the enterprise war the novel by john jackson miller and how's that going so far it is going fine so far all right very good. Glad to hear it. Uh, Zachy, I think you've been pretty uh, pretty plain with your desire to see continuing adventures from this crew and aboard this ship even, which is a little bit of a different take than you had, I think, at the middle when we were talking about season one of Discovery, when we were still trying to kind of feeling out what its interactions in the 23rd century would be. But now that Discovery proper is so far away from the 23rd century. Uh, do you like this idea of potentially further exploring the lost decade between discovery and TOS? I mean, you've, you've got that time period available to you. Canonically, it's just sitting there and you've got a vehicle, no pun intended with this version of the enterprise. Uh, you know, so you you don't have to do a lot of building out because it's already the the legwork has already been done. We can look at season two, the the entire arc of season two as sure. in effect yeah. the Pike pilot, right? Uh, so it you know, as soon as Anson Mount stepped off that transporter pad, I was like, get that man a spinoff. <laughs> I was like T'Challa, get that man a spinoff. You know? Yeah. Like that's how quickly, you know, and, and I'm not, uh, I'm not the only one. Everyone had that exact thought. I mean, Anson Mount 
is is just this this charisma magnet. You he's the type of actor who you center a show around. He's he's he was good on freaking he was good on humans and he didn't say anything, you know? Like, they they woefully misused his talents, but he was really good on that show, which was not very good, you know? Uh, you know. Um he, he, I think, I think it's a foregone conclusion at this point. They're doing a lot of pussyfooting around. I think, I think, it is for sure mm-hmm. going to happen. Well the only question is when they announce it. And and fingers crossed <laughs> that it will be called. Pike's Place. <laughs> uh, it would be really weird if they just called it Boardwalk for some reason. Star Trek. Boardwalk. <laughs> 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 oh. oh well. <laughs> there you oh. go. Boardwalk. Um, Cicero, Star Trek 1701. First of all, you know, we got the short treks coming, but you still have that uh, appetite for more adventures aboard the Enterprise? No, man. Uh, You know, once we watch these short treks, I'm done with these guys. So, um, yeah, I think think Anson Mount is playing a little bit coy. He, you know, he said he doesn't know any more than you guys do. Uh, or than we do. Uh, I think he knows uh, a lot more than that. And I think, you know, as Zachy said, it is a slam dunk. This is, uh, look, they're not leaving money on the table. And, huh. and that, right. that performance, um, the performance of at least, you know, Rebecca Romain, I thought was, you know, in this, in the short periods of time that they used her, Rebecca Romain was great as number one. Um, but obviously, Ethan Peck and Anson Mount were incredible. Uh, as their respective characters in, in Discovery Season 2. So, uh, I mean, they're not going to leave that money on the table. It, it's, 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 just, it's just, it would be ridiculous. Um, so it's a, it's a guarantee that that's coming. I just think um, at this point now, the writers, you know, maybe they're trying to hire writers or maybe they're going to repurpose some of the writers that they have uh, throughout the various writing rooms of the multitude of Star Trek shows that they have right now to try and figure out exactly what the uh, what the stories will be, you know, how, you know, what what type of uh you know what the 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 flavor and the the tempo and the tune of of the show is it's uh-huh. like jazz man it's like jazz um <laughs> and you know what that's going to be and i think they're in, in the creation phase of that and 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 they they're probably f- much further along um than we may give them credit for i i can i will put you know any amount of money 0 dollars on on the fact uh-huh. that uh uh-huh. that we won't go 12 months without hearing something about a new show um that should be called 1701 because if it's not called 1701 it better be called pike's place um <laughs> Damn right. straight. um so but uh and if it is called 1701 i i, I do want some uh creative yeah. points for that um but but yeah i i mean it, you know that is so they announced a lot of stuff at uh comic-con this year um they followed it up with with more information at, at stlv this year um the new adventures of the starship enterprise will be the headline of uh comic-con next year um and it would be you know it's the perfect opportunity to go out there you don't want to muddy the waters by talking about all of these things especially if the show is not 
you know, sure. is a year plus away. So I, I think, I think that's, that's what we're going to get to see. And, uh, well, I think know, we'll that it's really that interesting forward. too, that the conversation has evolved from they can't touch the 23rd century to now craving more of the right. sort of remixed 23rd century, at least visually, you know, like the fact that that is what sure. is drowning out what we thought was kind of a torrent of hatred over the concept of revisiting this era in the canon. I find that heartening just personally, but uh, yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think also if we, if we continue to get shows in the 23rd century where the, the stylistic uh, choices are more modern or make more sense with the larger budgets that they have um, also the 50 years of technology that yeah. we've had in real time to, uh, to make those things better, the, the easier it will be for those people that are holding out because of the visuals for them to come around and say, okay, well, this is the aesthetic now. And yeah, I can see how that makes sense. Well, the last major thing that I want to talk with you guys about, it comes from our close personal friend, Mr. Jason Isaacs. Uh, He opened the show (laughs) and we closed it. Just kidding, Mr. Isaacs, please, please. Um, (laughs) We're not worthy. Um, So he had panel space with Anson Mount. And I wish I could have been there. I mean, obviously you guys have probably worked out. None of us were at Star Trek Las Vegas. Hopefully that will change uh, soon. That's my, it's my hope and dream. I've always wanted to visit this show because the last time I was in Las Vegas for something Star Trek related, Star Trek, the experience was still in business. Oh Lordy. And that was great. But um, so Jason Isaacs (laughs) took the stage and man, he is ready for prime Lorca. Uh, he talked about, you know, maybe only probably only doing one season and someone asked him, do you want to come back? And what do you think he said? Of course, he wants to come back. Um, and he, he so he. I don't even know why I'm here <laughs> in Vegas. <laughs> come so back he, but he also said that he has actually talked to Star Trek's producers. He says, I've talked to them plenty. Where and when, nobody ever dies. There is a Prime Lorca. There are three different shows coming out in multiple seasons. And if I can squeeze back into that eight-year-old's uniform, would do. Who wouldn't want to do it again? They're timeless stories. (laughs) And the thing that I found particularly interesting is he did share a little bit of a perspective on what Prime Lorca might look like. He said, the point about the Mirror World we built is it wasn't meant to be how it was in Mirror Mirror, the original series episode. This was meant to be a Darwinian universe, just with a different political attitude that the strong should rule the weak. I don't think he would be that many miles away from Prime Lorca. It wasn't a coincidence that I sneaked the line in, let's make the Empire glorious again. It's about a different political attitude. I think Prime Lorca would be pretty much the same. Uh, Wow. I mean, honestly, that's kind of the characterization that Dayton Ward went with in the Drastic Measures novel. Uh, the only real time that we've seen yeah. Prime Lorca, and that's not conceivably canonical, but yeah, that wasn't wasn't all that different. Still pretty harsh. Did did Dayton know? Did yes, Dayton did. know the dispensation of the character? Yeah, he, he told us that he did. It sounded like it was a pretty did, cool okay. experience, but um, yeah, I find it pretty interesting though. Um, 
Because really, when you look at Mirror Universe characters, in the 60s, I don't know if it counts because they were purposefully more caricatures than characters. Uh, you know, where Mirror Kirk was screaming in the corridors of the Enterprise, I order you! Let me go! Spock, get these men off me! You know, I mean, it was he was supposed to... I mean, my favorite one was, all right, Spock, whatever you gave me. You know, I love that stuff. <laughs> Bill? Is it Shannon? Is he but, on our show? Uh, but, I mean, I think the closer element, besides looking at Discovery, of course, is looking how the characters were on Deep Space Nine. And most of the characters, barring, like, uh, Intendant Kira, were not abundantly different from just their basic characterization. I guess yeah, well, they, but they, there's they also were pretty harsh, though, right? I suppose. Uh, but Lorca, I guess yeah. it just feels like it makes sense, first of all, because of who's playing him. And because, well, the mm. crucible of what seems to form that guy seems like it's just pretty harsh in general. But what do you guys think about this? Is this... Is, would this get too close to what we've seen before? If we do get Prime Lorca somehow whether it's in discovery or whether it's in one of these other shows, do you, because Zachy, of course you were very critical of the, the mirror universe's invocation and discovery. Do you want Lorca to be a, a totally different guy or would you prefer something a little recognizable? Well, I, I think, you know, before the, the mirror switcheroo, uh, you know, what I kept coming back to is I, I admired the, not admired, that's the wrong word. I, I liked, you know, I savored the complexity of the character. I was like, how does a character like this with all this gray exist within a Starfleet framework? That was interesting to me. So when they're like, psych, he's evil the whole time, that was, that was less interesting to me. But definitely you have to say, just extrapolating from what Mr. Isaac said, you say, well, here's a guy who like mirror Lorca comes across and he takes the place of his counterpart to the extent that people who've known Lorca aren't like, hey, yeah. why are you acting all weird? Like they're like, right, it had to be enough similarity where it's like, all right, well, that's a little weird, but that's Gabriel, you know. <laughs> so, so, so I don't think he's wrong when he says, well, it would have to be just a sure. difference of a few degrees. Those, those degrees matter. Uh, but I think that were we to get a prime Lorca, he wouldn't be like so, Nebuchadnezzar so Tapestry twisty. Picard, you know? He's Bob Ross. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. It'll be a little happy bush. Here some the corner, by, here's some the by the yeah. station. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, I'd like to think that it would be closer to what appealed to me about the character initially, which is he's a complex gray character. So you think who that stuff can stay the same if the figure, the skewing you know? is in his mind the ideology of instead of the strong rule the weak, it's the strong protect the weak. Sure. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'd be interested in that. You know that. I, I mean, look, yeah. Jason Isaacs knocked it out during that first season. He was great for you know from beginning to end. So yeah. anything that brings Absolutely. him back into the fold. Well, I'm, another thing I'm I want to share down. before I throw it to Rachel here, uh, he talked about how he didn't want to sit in the captain's chair, and he said on his panel, "I walked up and down. My rationalization being, Lorca doesn't want to be there. He thinks they're a bunch of idiotic hippies who got this crazy idea of equality, and he just wants to go home to the mirror universe." But really, I just didn't want to sit in the chair and have the pictures to compare to previous Star Trek captains. 
which I thought was kind of funny. But I like the idea of a bunch of idiotic hippies because, yeah, that is kind of what Lorca thought in the back of his mind. Front Rachel, of his mind. Front, front, of it. front of it. Yeah, true. Yeah, fair enough. Prime Lorca. Front of his uh, mind. What do you think about He's going to be on 1701 Pike's Plate. <laughs> Look, if he's strong, like if he was displaced, like Dayton Ward's novel alluded yeah. to, he survived. That would be a super cool guest appearance. Yeah, I think. I I agree. Look, yeah. we're tossing out all kinds of free ideas. Yeah, it's today. true. So there you go. You're right. Are they CBS free? Can write Are a they? check to discovery discovery debrief. Isaac's also talked at his panel about what, having watched season two because the coolest thing about this panel that I'm so sad that I missed in person was that he and Anson Mount seem to be forming a kind of bromance. And I love the idea of that. Like he says that, oh, you got a better ready room than I did. Mine was a piece of shit. And, <laughs> and, he's, and the, the way that he brings uh, – he brings up Pike's characterization. He says, I love the second season of Discovery much more than the season I was in, not because it was better or different, but I didn't need to be self-conscious about myself in that weird costume. But I did think to myself, let's see how he gets on. Oh, he's really good. So annoying. But wait until it turns. It never turned. Just before it started, people were like, bring back Lorca, prime Lorca. Then it was like, oh, Pike's good. Let's have a Pike. <laughs> <laughs> we everybody. everybody you're so fickle and, uh, and i love that but right. even the, so the people at trek movie wrote up a, a really great recap of their panel together and they even say this is a comedy duo in the making uh, they had a lot of things to talk about. And Jason saying like how desperately uncomfortable that uniform is. It's been a year and my balls have just dropped. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he also revealed that he stole his costume. And uh, he, he said that he regretted not keeping any nice. of his costumes as Lucius Malfoy in the Harry Potter series. But he also joked he only uses his Starfleet uniform for special nights. <laughs> Uh, hey now. <laughs> Hit right. it. At, at the at the uh Troy Riker camp compound. But the, the, <laughs> the, the funniest thing I think was uh pe- people asked about a fight between Lorca and Pike, and Jason Isaac said, Well, Lorca would fight dirty. That's the thing. Pike is a very virtuous, I would say quasi-Mormon-like captain. There's nothing wrong with being the Osmonds of Starfleet, but there's no Queensberry rules with Lorca. <laughs> Clearly, Anson would take me with his little finger, but Lorca would fight very dirty. And uh, I just wanted to share that with you guys because that sounds like a blast. But, Sister, what do you think of the idea of, uh, of bringing Lorca back into the fold? Uh, shout He's out so to Jason cool. Isaacs, man. Uh you know, uh, you you you've made a bumper, but if you could be oh, a man. guest, oh man, that would be great. So, if Jason, if you're listening, <laughs> hit us up at uh, please call CBS and send money as well. Um, so, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> the uh, I, uh, I was I was at the end of season one. I know, uh, Chris, you were very very much team Prime Lorca, and I was very much. Uh, that's a pipe dream. It's never going to happen. 
Um, I, I am now team. It will happen. I mean, he was, he was in Vegas for crying out loud. So yeah, I mean, you know, they're not going to, uh, bring a guy back that they, he was only on for a season and not bring him back onto one of the myriad shows that they're, they're planning on CBS all access. So, uh, yeah, so it is happening. Uh, unlike Rachel, I don't think it'll be on 1701. I that think it will be on section 31. Now that you um, that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do think that there is, um, you know, a lot of room. There's a lot of delicious stuff to play with, with uh, him being on section, you know, him being on the section 31 show and, and with uh, Giorgio being there and, you know, all of all of that stuff uh, is is something that that we could you know we could wind up seeing, and then you know, I mean, that does not preclude uh, a a an appearance by the Enterprise on the Section Thirty One, like some kind it. of goofy crossover episode or episodes um, where you know uh, you know the third Section Thirty One crew is on uh seventeen oh one and vice versa and and having Lorca be the thing, um the reason that that happens. Give me those nineties comics crossover, baby. Sure. I I want it bad. Uh, yes. Oh man. Yes. <laughs> All I have to say is young. I mean but young. think just think about like the character dynamic of Giorgio is obviously going to be a major part of the section thirty one show. And this face comes back into her life that she associates with her most implacable enemy, but they're on the same side this time. That would be a lot. Hmm. Uh, Or are they? Fair enough. enough. But I think it would be very interesting if they they were, just personally. But no, very, very well said. Well, um, sure. Before before we actually close out, so just a couple of quick notes. Um, Shazad Latif basically says expect more news about Section 31 in a year. Uh, that doesn't sound unreasonable considering what we have to look forward to. Um, we got some other information about Lower Decks, but nothing that was too revelatory considering what we saw out of Comic-Con. Something I think is really cool, next month, Star Trek The Motion Picture is coming back to theaters via Fathom Events. And I know I'm going to be there. Do you guys plan on seeing it in the theater? I haven't seen that movie in yeah. 30 years. So, uh, yeah. Hey, man. Uh, so, yeah, maybe maybe I'll <laughs> that, come back. I would love that. I think it's on a Sunday and a Wednesday. So if you want to do the Sunday, let's do that. Oh, Zachy, yeah, is that dude, something that, yeah, that entices you? Uh, any chance to... Uh, absolutely watch yeah, the classic well cast but also kind screen. of interestingly so this about. is the 40th anniversary year for star trek the motion picture and the original novelization that's written by gene roddenberry is also getting re-released as well as being released for the first time in an audiobook format that's going to be narrated by our old buddy robert petkoff who's been doing a lot of the discovery books and that sounds like a pretty interesting uh time too i remember wearing my paperback copy of that book out when I was a kid and the idea of being able to revisit that sounds like a lot of fun. So we might have to talk about that. Um, Anthony Rapp is going to be joining a uh, new and um, I guess the final discovery expansion for star Trek online, which makes sense. I mean, the guy loves games. The guy loves comics. Why not put him into the comics, but also something uh, Kelvin timeline novels 
are going to start coming. And um, the first one that's coming out, which I believe is called More Beautiful Than Death by David Mack, has actually been written for 10 years and is just now being released. Uh, So it was announced at Star Trek Las Vegas that More Beautiful Than Death is coming out in August of 2020. Uh, 10 years ago, he wrote it. It was set right after the 2009 movie showcasing the new characters and situations. And he said, for behind the scenes reasons unrelated to my work, my book and three others in that setting were abruptly canceled. So something has taken place that is pushing that stuff back out. Uh, that's cool. Uh, the movies aren't coming back out. That's that's as that's right. Yeah, that's what's right. right. Yeah. but hey, that's I mean, what's taking place exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We get more adventures, and the comic book series that was running is long gone. So the I guess the thing that we have to look forward to is uh, Kelvin verse novels, which is an interesting idea. And Cicero, I remember you telling us on the chat line, and I didn't even see this until you mentioned it, but uh, the director of the What We Left Behind documentary said that Avery Brooks is involved. Yeah, yeah, he, uh, yeah, he, he, uh, he told him that he watched uh, the the DVD or the Blu-ray, uh, and and watched the extra features. And I guess, man, uh, what what a, a, an amazing, like, amazingly just uh, curiosity uh, Avery Brooks must be, because basically what was said was, <laughs> "Hey, man, I dug it." And 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 I'll watch it again. And that is like the highest praise from Avery Brooks. That not only did he like the thing that you did, but he'll watch it a second time. Um, and and of course, for those for those of you that have already seen what we left behind, um, Avery Brooks wasn't in, or was only involved via um, archival footage from uh, Captains. So he wasn't actually even in, or he wasn't interviewed for whatever reason, uh, directly for what we left behind. And, uh, so it was, it was very interesting to hear his take on it. And, and I, th- I think, you know, yeah. it Apparently makes me happy to that know he that he really enjoyed it. Felt he said all he wanted to say, but he did offer them notes on stuff that was included. Yeah. So he was even <laughs> involved for some degree in a, in a production capacity, but the fact that he likes it, it has Captain Cisco's seal of approval. That's awesome. But uh, the final thing that we're going to talk about is something that we haven't done in a while, and that is opening up the whole uh, – well, have a show? Uh, yes. <laughs> I got it. We're opening up the old communicator. <laughs> so this question comes from Edward Sanders. He says – could you all maybe talk about what all the corporate behind the scenes recent stuff with CBS and Viacom, how it might affect the future of the franchise? So we were talking a little bit off mic before we um, before we started recording just a, a little bit about the climate at CBS and how it seems that they've actually decided on a corporate leadership team for whatever this new corporation is going to be. And, you know, corporate news is boring. And of course these big blobs are going to find ways to blob together, even if, you know, they lose $5 billion on their stock. Like it just got announced that Uber did this morning, but they're going to keep on going, I'm sure. But uh, so CBS and Viacom, they've actually agreed on something. Star Trek has been cited as a reason for them to get back together Finally, of course it should be. It should have been a long time ago, but anyway. Um, 
So we were talking uh, a little bit about just what the popularity of CBS All Access looks like. Uh, what do you guys think of, um, of the, the possibility for this actually taking place? Because it, it's looking like it's going to be increasingly possible. Today was the target date to finalize a deal, but there wasn't anything that was announced today. We're recording this on August 8th. Um, but it looks like they're actually looking at Star Trek as a major reason why this should actually go through. Cicero, what do you think? Well, I, th- I think um, the thing is that for once, CBS is is uh, has their has their finger on the pulse of the young people uh, as opposed to Viacom, um, and you know, just by calling them young people, it makes them sound old. Um, but but the fact is the fact is that content is moving away from broadcast television and cable television to streaming and on demand. And and CBS All Access has has found a home with Star Trek, um, uh, you know, as as the anchor store for I think that was the metaphor that I used, uh, the analogy that I used uh, the last time we got together. But but that Star Trek is kind of the anchor store that is the mall that is CBS All Access, and and you know Viacom is is looking for a way to remain relevant, uh, and one of the the reasons that this is happening i think is so that cbs definitely wants to bring in bring in if people are coming or uh, are, are paying for cbs all access for star trek let's give them all the star trek and then we can't give them all the star trek uh, until chris <laughs> is able to watch nemesis on cbs all access and he can't true. do that until Very viacom true. and cbs zaki uh the idea of getting Star Trek all under one roof, do you think that that should be kind of a justification for moving this in addition to everything else that CBS would have access to? Yeah, I mean, it's a no-brainer. I mean, they're, they're, the no. bifurcation of the Star Trek rights has not been good for anyone. And, and you know, arguably, that's the biggest reason that the Kelvin series – uh, may have gotten, you know, strangled in the cradle, you know, uh, this, and, and I don't, I don't buy into all the 25% stuff or whatever, all the conspiracy theories about how different it has to be or whatever, but just purely from a legal, uh, corporate point of view, you're, you're depriving yourselves of assets. And by virtue of that, each side has less incentive to invest in each other's respective assets. So, yeah, you know, you, you, the, if, and I, I think this is what I read in, in Variety or Hollywood Reporter, mm-hmm. you know, making the comparison to the MCU. In mm. uh, so far as, you know, CBS is looking at what Disney's done with Marvel and that, and, and how they've reacquired all those properties. And that's what they want to do with Star Trek, which makes sense yes. because when you think about it, Star Trek was the MCU of its Ooh, day. Sure. Right. And so, you know, you you would watch an episode, and then you go to the theater, and everybody's wearing the new uniforms. You come back to the show, suddenly everyone's wearing the new uniforms. You know, there was a real synchronicity that that they have the opportunity to really light those fires again. So, yeah, of course. I mean, the the CBS Viacom split was one of the dumbest decisions uh, for for both both sides. I mean, Paramount more than than CBS, but 
each side is going to benefit. And I'm, you know, what's weird is I'm, I'm very like bipolar about this because I don't like how we're in this age of vertical integration and where all these corporations are swallowing each other up. Yeah. But yeah. Star Trek gets to be together. <laughs> You've described my perspective in a nutshell. That's, that's for sure. I mean, I, well, Rachel, you know this. I mean, how often have I talked your ear off when we're not on a podcast and we're just sitting on the couch and just like, I don't treat Star Trek with enough respect. Many times. Many times. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think about this idea? Because you're the you're the one probably out of all of us who's the hippest uh, as the youngest member of our panel. So hip. So hip. Um, well, I mean, you're because you're using CBS All Access. You're one of the young folks that yeah. are that are flocking to it for the American version of Love Island. No, I wouldn't. I don't know flocking, but yeah, I mean, they did say in a a press release that they were pleased that people who are watching Love Island are quote unquote not CBS viewers. <laughs> Which I think means young. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, Not collecting like, social security. <laughs> I guess that puts me in that, that demographic. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I share Zachy's sentiments where like, I generally think the sort of blobbing together of giant media corporations is not good and like i definitely sneered at a lot of people on social media who when disney bought fox were like oh the x-men will be in the mcu yeah they're like whiter i'm like i think they're gonna (laughs) kill movies like like i think the movies are dead (laughs) but the x-men in the mcu so okay um So I don't really know as much about Viacom and CBS's properties to know what's going to die here so that, (laughs) um, so that Star Trek can live. Right. But. (laughs) Something must. (laughs) No, like, I mean, when you think about it, it's like, okay, to get like the, the Fox properties in the MCU, like he, Disney just killed every Fox movie in production. Didn't they? I think they did. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know goodness. what was in production, but I, yeah. yeah. Like, well, not just superhero. <laughs> they killed, they killed all the other. Yeah. They yeah. killed everything. So that's a lot of collateral damage. And it's like, what sort of good stuff was, potentially killed for that and you know so we get so they can remake every single property that they've ever had um and so yeah like i don't know i'm this i my instinct is that something here is gonna have to die but um (laughs) if if star trek can be invested in better that's good so silver lining there's some cold water for us to end the show on capitalism Right. Well, so so uh, if if I may, I will say that um, if this merger does go through, um, which it looks like it will, we have one person to to uh, thank uh, for that. Uh, yeah, and that is yeah. less yeah, moon vet. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Right. Well, yeah. Um, um, you know, be, because he is an alleged philanderer. Um, and you know, I will say alleged because I really love Julie Chen. Um, 
And but uh, because of that, he had to re- uh, resign his position as head of CBS, and he was the big, Prime, yeah, uh, primary the big person who was stopping. Yeah, the the you know he was the the primary. Yes, he was the primary opposition for this merger, uh, and he believed that CBS had. Um, Bigger, bigger, and better groups from uh, to which to with you know with whom they could merge uh, than Viacom and, and Paramount and didn't really see uh, the 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 unification of of Star Trek as being uh, a good enough reason to spend that money or to make the negotiations. And now that he's gone, uh, things are things are moving at a uh, pardon the pun warp pace. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm not a fan of Les <laughs> Yep, exactly. Goodbye. Not just because Good of riddance. the philandering, but also because he clearly hasn't given a crap about Star Trek for most of the time that he's been in that position. Right. Uh, not that those are equal crimes, obviously, but that's just what's been in my head. Yeah. I mean, you can you can trace the cancellation what? of Enterprise yeah. to him, can't uh, you? Goodbye. We don't need him anymore. Yeah. But... All right. Well, I think that's going to do it. We've covered quite a lot, and hopefully this is just the beginning. Uh, Star Trek's future is looking very bright, whatever forms it's going to take. There's still the unsettled mystery of uh, a potential film that I don't think is going to happen, but that Quentin Tarantino can't stop talking about for some reason. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> Once upon well, a time in said the Delta something Quadrant. recently about how, well, maybe if I did a uh-huh. Star Trek movie, it wouldn't count as my 10th movie. And I'm just like, screw off. Come on. I mean, it would count. If you direct a Star Trek movie, then that is going to be your, but whatever, whatever. That's, that's not going to happen. Probably not worth mentioning, but thank you for everybody who came back aboard to discovery debrief to listen to this one. And we look forward to bringing more to you, but that's going to do it for episode number 44. Oh yes, please do. And and can can I just say something actually before we before we, you know in in the interim I've I've on occasion while driving I I'll put on like various channels on YouTube and things that are, are you know they're like Star Trek focused you know and what strikes me is there is such negativity out there and it's people just love to complain and they're so passionate about what they hate. You know, and and I look at this stuff, and I can't stomach too many minutes of it because I'm just like, you know, if you don't like it, just move on, just find the thing you do. And you know, I've said this before, and I just want to say to you guys, you know, you are my friends because of Star Trek, and that's what Star Trek is, or it should be. It's a thing. It's a universe we all get to share in. We get to spend time in. We get to and we get to talk about the fun times we had. And and if you're not getting that out of it, then you know. Maybe it's not for you anymore, yeah. and that's okay. Absolutely. But, but no, don't yuck well. other people's yum, you know? It, no, it's, it's true. Hey, it. That's all. <laughs> yeah. What should I say? <laughs> don't yuck any of, anybody else's yum yum. Yes. <laughs> well, no, I mean, uh, I, I think I'm that – bring that back um, as much as I can. You know, you exemplify – I think all everybody on this panel exemplifies the idea of wanting to start conversations as opposed to end them. And uh, – uh, that's why I not only appreciate every chance I get to talk about this franchise that I love with you guys, but with the people who have picked us up and who engage us in those conversations too, we're really glad to have you and we hope that you stick with us. Uh, 
But yeah, I think that's going to do it for episode number 44 of Discovery Debrief. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels. And if you'd be so kind, we'd appreciate it if you wrote a review for the show on iTunes or Facebook. It only takes a minute and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it's posted. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at DSC Debrief, where you can also find all of our individual Twitter handles. And feel free to send us questions through Twitter, our Facebook like page, or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes and be sure to join us as we convene next time to discuss the increasingly bright future of those bold adventures into the final frontier. As always, though, until we meet again, please go boldly, my friends.